Chapter 45 Trespassers The opossums waddled straight toward Nix. Their trot became a sprint. Everyone looked in her direction, as if trying to determine what had captured the creature's attention. Nix squeaked out a word she'd heard Jordan use on special occasions. Was she about to get attacked by woodland creatures in front of the entire school? Had Nix really tasted so wonderful that the beasts were back to finish her off? She grabbed Jordan's sleeve in preparation to use him as a meat shield, but then saw Leo pull into the parking lot. Nix grabbed Tiago as well and yanked the boys toward the white car. Tiago, can we catch a ride with your brother? Thanks. Don't want to keep Leo waiting. Should we jog? I'm gonna jog. Nix sprinted toward the car. She didn't look behind her until she was in the front seat with the door closed. The opossums were still headed in her general direction, but had slowed and now sniffed at the ground. Nix sat back and slouched low in her seat. Excited to get home? Leo asked. Jordan and Tiago took their seats in the back. They're just opossums, Tiago said. They're not dangerous, well, unless they're rabid, but I didn't see any mouth foam. Nix tried to look surprised. Oh, I was just embarrassed about my bandages. People are always staring. Danny has taken to calling me earring impaired. Jordan laughed and then cleared his throat. <clears> throat> what a turd. He got that from Portia, Tiago said. She's been spreading it around. I guess Danny's the only one reckless enough to say it to your face. After that incident with McGuckin and the scissors. Nick sighed. And Portia probably got it from Fawn. I'm starting to feel a lot less angry at Brian for humiliating her. How's Sarah getting home? Jordan asked. Tiago shrugged. It was the most beautiful gesture Nix had ever seen. I'm sure her dad will get her, Nix said. I'll call later to make sure he doesn't leave her alone again. Nix got Leo to drop her off at the trailer park. Whether it was legal or not, she needed to check on her mother. You want us to wait? Leo asked. No thanks, Nix said. Mostly because she didn't want an audience for what was to come. I'll walk to the cherries from here. Hopefully she could remember how to get there on foot. Nix grew pensive on approaching her boxcar trailer. Was her mother in there sobbing? How was she handling the vacation from her only child? Nix felt vaguely devious for letting DHS think her mother beat her. Then again, she had tried to tell Vivek. And technically, the constant criticism was still abuse. Nix certainly felt happier with the cherries. Did she actually miss her mother at all? She knew the answer, and it filled her with guilt. Nix trudged up the steps, found the door locked, and knocked, then banged. Her mother had to be home. She only left once a month to shop and get her hair cut, and she'd just gone to the market the week before. Nix decided to wait a bit for her mother to come back, but only a few minutes into her stakeout, she heard shouts. I told you to get, you beast! Why are you hanging around here? Go back to wherever you came from! Nix followed the voice to the Wolfson trailer. Peggy stood on her covered porch with a fly swatter in her hands. She was hitting kittykins. Did she not recognize her own cat? The poor thing cowered in a corner of her porch. Hey, what are you doing? Nix yelled. The filthy thing's diseased and it won't get off my porch. Was she really that dense? Isn't that your kitty? Nix asked, hoping she didn't sound too obvious. The one that disappeared? Of course not, Peggy shouted back. Now either help me get rid of the dang thing or leave me be. Nix left kittykins in the cherry's backyard next to an open can of tuna and a water dish. What was the point of freeing the cats if their owners didn't take them back? 
This was her fault for making them look diseased. She should have called the police and dealt with the consequences. I hope you don't mind. I gave a can of tuna to a stray cat. Mrs. Cherry waved a hand and stirred something on the stove. Never apologize for helping an animal in need. Mr. Cherry appeared in the doorway. How's your... He gestured to his head. Fine, Nick said. As long as I remember to take my narcotics on time. Mr. Cherry laughed. For a moment, Nick's had a flash of what it might be like to have a real father. He wasn't Sergeant Frost by any means, but at least he seemed to care. Hey, Mr. Cherry said. You want to do that second reading now? Definitely. Jordan and Tiago would get their readings soon enough. Can I make requests? Like, can I ask something? For that, we'll need the crystal. Outside of a squeaky drawer, Mr. Cherry pulled a very normal-looking Ouija board. Instead of the triangular white disc with the magnifying glass center, he produced a smooth, flat, nearly transparent rock, about the diameter of a golf ball. It was gorgeous. Nix had the urge to pick it up and put it in her mouth. Mr. Cherry dimmed the lights, lit some incense, then mumbled a short chant, or maybe he was going over his grocery list. He then put his thumbs on one side of the clear disc and indicated that Nix should do the same. When she brought her thumbs down, Mr. Cherry interlocked his fingers with hers, forming a bridge on either side of the stone. Mr. Cherry said something that sounded like Latin, then closed his eyes and waited for what seemed ten minutes, but was probably one or two. Nix was about to ask if they should try again another time, when his eyes flew open and he grinned at her. Go ahead, ask a question, he will answer you. Nix didn't know who he was, but she supposed it didn't really matter as long as it gave her accurate answers. Is Sarah safe right now? Nix had barely gotten the words out when it shot to the top right corner, dragging their hands with it. Through the stone, Nix read the word, No. Her thumbs trembled and her arms suddenly felt tired. You okay? Mr. Cherry asked. Nix nodded. How many questions can I ask? As many as you can get out before he gets bored. Nix took a breath. Is Mr. Abendroth in Woods Cross? Again, Nix hadn't even finished the last word when the stone shot to the other side. Yes. A cold sweat broke out on her back. She was really getting answers, and she'd been right all along about the danger Sarah was in. Is Sarah alone right now? The stone didn't move. Was that an answer, or did the magic eight-ball guy leave? Maybe she should ask a question she already knew the answer to. Will Tiago Padilla ever be my boyfriend? Nothing happened. Yup, she and Mr. Cherry were alone again. She tried to unlock her hands from his, but he held her there, with the same kind of faraway look he'd had during the first reading. Why is Nix engulfed in an aura of death? The stone moved so quickly Nix could hardly keep up. F-A-T-H-E-R. It stopped. Father. That wasn't an answer. Mac Whack had nothing to do with her ability to leave her body. Mr. Cherry had to be moving the stone. Now Nix just felt silly. Once again she tried to pull away, but his grip was like cold steel. What does Nix need to defeat her enemies? P-O-W-E-R. What kind of power? he asked. B-I-N-D-I-N-G. Phoenix Ivory Whack, will you bind yourself to the power? Uh, I'm not sure if... The blue veins in her hands moved. She could actually see the skin writhe as the veins slid into a different position. 
Three lines of blue became a triangle, then a star. Two stars were forming on the backs of her hands. Nix's curiosity and amazement overcame her terror, but only jest. Will you bind yourself to Achilles and Obelus? The stone slid to the top left corner. Yes. Her hands felt like she'd plunged them into ice water. No! Nick shouted. I didn't! Someone knocked on the sitting room window. Mr. Cherry yanked his hands away from Nick's, and she nearly smashed her face into the Ouija board. Another knock. Hello? A face appeared in the crack under the blinds. Nix rubbed her hands. They felt more or less normal now, and her veins seemed to be back in their optimal locations. What had just happened, or almost happened? Are you okay? Mr. Cherry asked. The person knocked louder. Excuse me? No one was answering the door. I'm Ingrid Fincher, from the Philadelphia Inquirer. I just need to ask Von Deschay a few questions. Is Von at home? How had a random reporter gotten a miner's home address? Nix was willing to bet McGuckin had something to do with it. Mrs. Cherry's heels clomped across the wood floor to the front entry. Why hadn't she answered it in the first place? Mr. Cherry grinned at Nix. To be continued, I guess. He said it as if he hadn't just used her blood vessels to draw pictures. The reporter, a black woman with a strong French accent, spent over an hour peppering Fawn with questions. Fawn seemed rather pleased with herself especially since all she'd done at the Hainsworths was run around and scream. Nix and Belly had been the ones to haunt the crap out of the place. But of course, Fawn didn't say anything about Nix's involvement. Nix debated explaining her own part in the prank, but in the end decided it was better to stay under the radar until the poop fan stopped spinning. After dinner, Mr. Cherry followed Nix out of the dining room. Shall we finish what we started? Nix cleared her throat. I'm pretty beat tonight. Maybe tomorrow after school? Sure, he said. What about you, Fawn? Want to finally give it a go? Do I look like a superstitious idiot to you? I can't believe you're still trying to convince people it's real. If I want my future told, I'll eat a fortune cookie. For some reason, she glared at Nix. Maybe she was jealous of their daddy-daughter bonding time? Then Fawn disappeared into the bathroom for her nightly three-hour cleansing ceremony. Mr. Cherry leaned toward Nix and whispered, Some people are so smart, they're stupid. Nix forced a smile, but the comment kind of jarred her. Her mother used to call her stupid at least three times a day. But for some reason, it sounded way meaner coming from a man Nix respected. Did he talk about her to Fawn? Maybe it was something Nix should mention to Vivek when he came sniffing around again. The sickly sweet DHS worker probably wouldn't believe her foster father was trying to give her supernatural powers, or more supernatural powers, anyway. Come to think of it, her status quo was pretty great without the extra Obelis binding, or whatever, and Nix was pretty sure she wanted her veins to stay where they were. Was it a coincidence that Obelis was rather close to Belly? Probably. Belly hadn't offered to give her more power only to train her in the art of terrifying school bullies. For the next three days, Mr. Cherry tried to give Nix another reading after school. Each time Nix put him off, it got easier. On Friday, she told him she'd decided to take a break from the mystical stuff until she got caught up on her classwork. He seemed disappointed, but not angry. He was probably harmless, but Nix had enough power for the time being. Her spiritual traveling ability should be more than enough to track down Sarah's assailants. Sarah! Nix rushed to the phone and called the Hainsworths. 
After two rings, Sarah's dad answered, This is Nix from school? I was just calling to make sure Sarah is feeling all right. We've got a joint project due tomorrow. Sarah is fine. Please don't call here again. Click. Wow. What a jerk. He didn't even recognize her as the girl who pretty much saved his daughter's life during the first break-in. Granted, the last time Nix visited his house, he'd nearly gotten eaten by a floral arrangement. Since it was the weekend, Nix's foster parents let her stay up late. She spent most of the evening surfing the internet and searching for mentions of obelis, or star-vane hands. All she came up with was obelis, which was apparently a smart person name for the division sign. Also, lots of pictures of old lady hands. Fawn went out with some friends from Midland. The whole time, Nix kept thinking, Is this what it's like to have a real family? Where people get along and trust each other? And there are things to do besides scrubbing carpets? Despite her guilt at abandoning her mother, Nix was back to revering Ms. Winkle's wisdom. And now that the teacher had saved Nix from a toxic family life, it was time to fulfill their mutual goal of bettering the town. The next objective in making it safe for Sarah was to find Mr. Abendroth's shoe size. Saturday dawned cool and breezy. It seemed fall had finally grown assertive and was keeping winter at bay. What took you so long? Jordan asked after Nix huffed onto his doorstep. You ever seen a fat girl jog? It isn't pretty. Jordan didn't smile, but at least his scowl became less menacing. He led Nix inside. Tiago's brother can't take us. And? And what? Jordan slammed the door. We've to study for the algebra test on Monday anyway. Study? Right. Why are you bent out of shape? Because we have to ride bikes up there? Amy doesn't want to go to the neighbors, Jordan said in a seething voice. And she says she's going to tell my dad if I leave. Let's take her with us. Jordan stared at Nix like she was stupid, then slowly seemed to realize it wasn't such a bad idea. But if she mentions to my dad that we broke into the old mansion again... We could just do it another time. No, you're right. Sarah's safety is at stake. I'm sure I can bribe Amy with something. Another Kirby game should keep her quiet. Amy, go get your bike! Amy trudged in with her eyes glued to her Game Boy Advance. I don't want to ride bikes. Jordan mimed a strangulation. Amy, Nick said, you know if you don't exercise daily, you'll end up fat like me. I didn't care. Nick smiled. For some reason, that made her feel all glowy inside. Jordan grabbed Amy's head and tilted it up so her eyes met his. Nix and I are going to break into an abandoned building. If you promise not to tell Dad, we'll take you with us. The Game Boy hit the carpet. After more than an hour of pedaling uphill, Nix and Jordan had switched dispositions. Jordan whistled merrily on his dad's bike and tried to keep pace with the squirrels skittering along the telephone wires. Nix rode Jordan's bike some distance behind concentrating on maintaining enough speed to keep from toppling over. Stupid hill. Why did Woodscross have to have hills anyway? And why did Mr. Abendroth have to insist on living at the very top of the biggest one? Amy thought it was funny to ride circles around Nix. Jordan, you know there's no prize for getting there first, Nix called through her ragged breaths. Don't give up, Nix, Jordan called. We're almost there. We'd better be. We passed Sarah's forever ago. According to Tiago, Sarah was currently out shopping with her mom, which is an all-day event for rich people, apparently. He had offered to keep an eye on her that evening, probably another reason for Nix's fabulous mood. The gray mansion emerged from the trees. It looked much less scary in the daylight, even a little quaint, 
until she remembered there might be bodies under the floorboards, which was made all the freakier by the fact that Mr. Abendroth was in Woods Cross, if Mr. Cherry knew what he was talking about, anyway. Jordan tried the front door, in case someone forgot to lock it. They hadn't. There's always that broken glass in the back door, Nick said. It's only been a couple weeks. Maybe the owners haven't replaced it yet. Wow. Amy stared out at the town below. A velvet carpet of trees lay before them, stretching all the way to the bottom of the hill where the houses looked like multicolored cereal boxes. The view was breathtaking. Or maybe Nix was short of breath, because she was about to commit her second felony this month. The three of them left their bikes in the bushes next to the front porch and set off around the house. They'd only gotten as far as the first corner when Jordan grabbed Nix and Amy by the arms and yanked them against the house. Get off that! Quiet, Amy! Jordan hissed. Look! A baby blue Mustang convertible sat among the trees, a few hundred feet from the back of the house. Mr. Abendroth didn't drive a blue convertible, did he? Nix whispered. Jordan shrugged and took a few steps toward the car. It's empty. I'm gonna check it out. Stay here, Amy. Jordan! Nix whispered. She was fully prepared to start a lecture about not snooping around strange cars when the owners might be close by. But at that moment, a chorus of laughter erupted from inside the house. Jordan's posture relaxed. Doesn't sound like grown-ups. Nick stepped back and squinted at the mansion. She couldn't see any movement in the windows. Looks like someone beat us to the whole breaking and entering thing. Hey, Amy said. There's that possum I saw following us. Jordan rolled his eyes. Oh my gosh, Amy. Possums are nocturnal. Amy repeated Jordan in a nasally voice. Nix couldn't see what Amy had been pointing at, but she really hoped it wasn't one of the opossums trying to finish her off. Maybe it was her imagination, but she thought she could sense the direction the opossum was in, kind of like the scissors in McGuckin's bag. Nix plodded away from the house and concealed herself behind a pair of trees. Jordan and Amy followed. What are we doing? Amy asked. Waiting for them to leave, Jordan said, as if it couldn't be more obvious. Nix made a face. We don't have time for that. What are you going to do? Ask them if they'd please come out and stop vandalizing so we can loot the closets? Well, who knows what they're doing in there? They could be all day. Amy nodded. Nick thought for a moment. If we weren't planning on breaking in ourselves, we could call the police on them. Jordan sighed. So how do you get a bunch of kids out of a house? Apart from setting it on fire? I'm starting to think you really did start that fire at Urban X. Amy's eyes went wide. What? Nothing, Jordan said. Another peal of laughter preceded a crashing sound. Someone tipping over furniture? Jordan grimaced. If we don't do something now, there won't be any house left to search. I'm going in, Nick said. Nick's. they're probably dropouts or college kids. They've got big arms and facial hair and stuff. I don't think it would go very well for you to interrupt their fun. Nick's lay back onto the pine needles. Jordan glanced at Amy. Then back to Nix. What are you doing? Taking a quick nap. Amy started whining and didn't stop until Jordan threatened to send her back down the hill alone. Once Amy was quiet, Jordan put a hand on Nix's shoulder. Now is not the time to practice your cosmic sleeping thing. We need to be in a controlled environment. What are you guys talking about? Amy asked. Practicing our play, Jordan said. Nix slowed her breathing. Don't let me sleep more than five minutes. Sure, at about four and a half, I'll start screaming hysterically. That'll be your clue. You realize we don't even have a phone if something goes wrong. 
I mean, you couldn't have picked a more remote spot to do this. Nick smiled and felt around for the switch in her chest. You sound like someone's mother. Just do me a favor, Jordan said. Make it quick and keep me updated. Except how will I know if they're my own thoughts or if you're planting them? Maybe we should have a code word or something. No, that wouldn't work. Nix, do you really have to do this? Nix? Nix wasn't breathing. Fabulous, he said. Nix was amazed how easy it was getting. Almost like her soul ached to get out of that walking Twinkie at the first opportunity. I'll be right back, she said as clearly as she could in Jordan's ear. Was that you? Jordan asked. Did you just say something about being back in a minute? Amy furrowed her eyebrows. This play doesn't make sense. Start your watch, Nick said. Oh crap, Jordan whispered to himself. Almost forgot to start my watch. Nick rose into the air. The spectacular wraparound vision was confusing for only a moment. Then her mind adapted again. Instantly, a thousand potent sights and sounds assaulted her. Every yellowing blade of grass, every wood grain in the shutters, every out-of-place shingle, she drank them all in, amazed at the clarity. Leaving her body during a crisis was one thing, but it was a totally different experience when she had time to observe and appreciate everything. This was only her second unhurried exploration into the afterlife. She'd forgotten how liberating it felt, not to mention how incredibly attractive she looked. Nix marveled how her long, slender form moved so gracefully across the open yard. Halfway to the house, Nix realized she was back on the ground and walking. Walking? Although she couldn't feel the grass under her, somehow her feet knew when to stop. She wasn't sinking into the earth. Nix considered trying to get airborne again, but walking seemed more natural. So she strolled up the back steps and approached the door. A square of plywood covered the original broken pane, but a new section of glass had recently been shattered to get the door open again. Nix had flown through dozens of walls and doors at the hospital, and again at the Hainsworths, but it was fascinating to take her time and focus on the sensations. Nix lifted her skinny girl arm and placed a hand on the door. She sensed something, but it certainly didn't feel like wood. It was soft and fluid, like a liquid much less dense than water. It sort of reminded her of the dry ice steam from Sergeant Frost's homemade root beer. Her hand naturally rested on the door until she pushed it through. It felt like passing through a dense fog, barely even registering as a physical sensation. As her hand breached to the other side of the door, Nix was instantly granted full view inside the house. She pulled her hand back and her sight was again limited to the back porch. She could see with her hands. One of the trees near the side of the house moaned impatiently, and Nix remembered there was work to be done. She blew through the door like a breeze and walked down the hall toward the sound of muffled laughter. Again, she noticed she wasn't really hearing the sound as much as feeling it along the length of her body. Her fingers and toes seemed best at picking up the vibrations. Nix reached toward the sounds and let them pull her forward. Once she got closer and there was less wood between her and the speakers, Nix could pick out the words, Only one lighter. Maybe you could keep the rocks lit. Light your hair this time. I don't think... Fine, do the jacket again. And wait until it gets going, I'll tell you when. You promise this will be the last time? Sure, you want to be part of our club, right, big guy? Nix entered the smoke-filled haze to find several boys and a girl sitting on an enormous bed. If it hadn't been so weathered and dusty, the room would have been magnificent. Large windows covered two walls nearly all the way to a high ceiling. Three other boys sat atop furniture that might have been expensive a decade ago. 
Standing at the foot of the bed was the man she'd lost her job for. He was on fire. Felix's face twisted, and he held out his hands, as if ready to fall to the floor. Not yet, said a dark-haired boy in the bed. Give it a minute. The fire crept upward. Felix screamed. Don't be a baby. Nix clenched her ghost fists. Warmth flowed into her hands. One of the boys shivered. Don't listen to them, Nix said into Felix's face. Stop, drop, and roll. Felix stood paralyzed. Nix put her hands out to the side of Felix's head and rumbled. Roll! Felix dropped to the ground and flailed until the flames went out. Afterward, he didn't get up, but moaned softly, holding his hip. Was that what she'd heard from outside? Felix bumping into things? What was he doing up here? Why was he letting these punk kids push him around? Two boys on a dresser passed a glass pipe between them. They were the guys she'd seen carving swear words into the trailer park pole the last day of summer vacation. I told you to wait, retard. Nix found herself staring into the dark-haired boy's goatee. She could see each individual follicle, and even the little collection of baby zits on each side of his nose. Be nice, she rumbled. Robbie, light his shoelaces. Clearly dark-haired goatee boy was accustomed to ignoring his conscience. One of the boys on the dresser hopped down, grabbed the lighter from the floor, and relit his pipe. Hurry up! If he wants a scooter back, he's got to prove he's smart enough to operate it. The only person in the room who seemed troubled by the spectacle was the mousy girl on the bed. Nix moved to her ear. They should stop. They're going to hurt him. Do you really want to go to jail for this? The girl didn't react. Stop them, Nix rumbled. The girl's expression became even more pained, but she didn't open her mouth. What's wrong with kids these days? The boy who must have been Robbie crouched next to the whimpering Felix and opened the chrome rectangle. Fire appeared. He adjusted the lighter and the flame grew longer. If Nix didn't do something, these stupid kids would burn Felix alive. She hesitated to do her brain-touching trick, both because she didn't want to get shocked, but also because she didn't want to give the kids brain damage. But then again, the opossums didn't seem harmed, really, just a little disoriented. And they'd made it all the way to the school to attack her, so their brains were probably fine. Nix carefully brought her index finger to Robbie's temple, then she pushed it through his skull. She may as well have grabbed an exposed power line. The force of the shock sent her flying backward into the next room. It didn't hurt exactly, but felt like nails on a chalkboard while chewing tin foil. She returned instantly to the master bedroom, half expecting to find Robbie dead in a heap, but he was in the same position she'd left him in. Well, it had been worth a shot. The shoelaces finally caught fire. Robbie blinked a few times. That was weird. I just had major deja vu. The flames spread faster than on Felix's jacket. The large man kicked his feet in panic, and the fire moved up his legs. One of the boys swore. Several more jumped to their feet. Robbie dropped the lighter. Felix's childlike screams filled Nix with distilled rage. She put one arm inside the other, and then pulled them both into her abdomen. She folded her body into progressively smaller sections, all the while moving to keep up the friction. The heat grew exponentially. Hot air buffeted her from all sides. She was in the middle of the Sahara in a dust storm. Without meaning to, Nix also gathered the heat of Felix's burning jeans and pulled it deeper inside of her. Her core felt like liquid metal. Frost cracked the windows and spread like mold across the walls. One of the boys shrieked, his hand stuck to the bedpost. The flames on Felix's pants flickered and died. Ice crystals formed on the chandelier with a snapping sound. 
The glass pipe splintered, spilling what looked like glowing cat food onto the floor, where it was instantly snuffed out. One boy stared at nothing, mouth quivering. Felix lay on the floor, crying. Everyone else frantically scanned the room. This isn't cool, the girl said. Robbie backed up against a dresser. I'm seriously freaked out right now. A shout echoed through the forest. Jordan. How had four and a half minutes passed already? What was that? An owl? Nix lowered herself to Felix's level. Leave, she rumbled. Felix just lay there. Meanwhile, a typhoon of fire still raged inside her. The lighter slid a few inches across the floor. Had Nix moved it by accident? Dark goatee boy picked a snowflake out of the girl's hair. Someone want to tell me what just happened? Freaked out wasn't enough. These kids needed to be scared beyond all reason if she was going to get them out, not to mention protect Felix. She extended a burning hand and slowly pinched the lighter between her fingers and thumb. It felt like an impossibly thin egg, like the slightest pressure would crack it. Had she been in too much of a hurry to notice this with the scissors? I'm pretty sure this place is haunted. You saw that on the news, right? The Hainsworths is just one house down. Shut up, Chris. You're such a wuss. Look, I said I was sorry for the school. I really thought you'd want me to have the car ready. And anyway, that big-haired white lady was psycho. 